Hello and welcome to the podcast for the November 2011 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm delighted to be joined once again by Audrey Seskia from TLO. So welcome or bienvenue Audrey. Audrey, in a moment I'm going to discuss in detail a research article in this month's issue. It concerns a potential new therapeutic approach for ovarian cancer. But before that, Audrey, just give us a few other highlights from the issue. I will first highlight our editorial. It laments the twists and turns that are attempting to undermine the U.S. healthcare bill via the Supreme Court. We also publish three reviews, of which we could mention Guido Coavaletti review on how genomic analyses are being used to identify patients at risk of chemotherapy-induced peripheral neurotoxicity. This month, we also published six research articles, including the study led by Perrin Hexal on the Swedish mammography screening program, comparing breast cancer incidence in two groups of women, one group that was screened repetitively during a six-year period, and a control group that was screened only once at six years. And finally, I will mention this very interesting study led by Robert Coleman, which you're about to discuss with him, I think. That's right, Audrey. Earlier, I spoke to Professor Robert Coleman from the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. He is one of the authors of a phase one, phase two study in this month's issue of TLO, and it concerns a potentially new approach for the treatment of ovarian cancer, specifically using an agent that targets VEGF in combination with a taxane. And when I spoke to Professor Coleman, I asked him to give us some background to the study, given that this anti-antigenic approach is relatively new. We've been interested in the vascular targeting for ovarian cancer for some time because we've recognized that this is a strong mitogen for endothelial cells and seems to be relevant for ovarian cancer growth and metastasis as well as other solid tumors. And and we've certainly seen the impact of targeting VEGF in other solid tumors, uh, which has led to the approval of uh, several agents in several different other solid tumors. But in ovarian cancer, we've known for a long time, for instance, that these patients that present with a lot of ascites and their tumors have a very strong vascular presence to them, that targeting VEGF may be an important element. And so that really launched a pretty robust preclinical and then translational uh, clinical sets of trials to look at various different agents that target VEGF and see their impact on tumor growth. This year has actually been really quite an important year uh, in the ovarian cancer world for anti-VEGF-based therapies because we've seen maturation of a number of trials, both in frontline and recurrent disease, with some of these agents. I think it's helping to establish the hypothesis that this is an important target for ovarian cancer. Our um, interest in in the Flibercept, which is the anti-VEGF-based therapy, which was looked at in our study, really started in in a preclinical domain, and we were fortunate enough to get a very early formulation of the compound to look at this in orthotopic preclinical model of ovarian cancer. And that allowed us to uh, demonstrate its uh, efficacy as both as a single agent, but really the heightened efficacy we saw with a a number of the taxanes. And we looked at both um, paclitaxel and docetaxel, and we chose the latter for this particular trial. Thank you very much. So just to be clear then, you're looking at uh, a flibercept, which uh, is, you say, an anti-VEGF agent in combination with a taxane, that's right, that you were using in this trial? Your study is both phase one and phase two. Do you want to go on and just describe the the objectives and and briefly summarize the methods of this study? Sure. When we started this trial, um, a flibercept was available only as a subcutaneous 
preparation. And actually, the initial protocol that I wrote actually was uh, based on different ways to administer what we hoped was a an important and relevant clinical dose subcutaneously. But right around the time that this um, started to be realized in, in the clinic, an intravenous formulation became available. And so we knew kind of where our target zone was to reach a level where we could saturate all the VEGF around the tumor from a pharmacokinetic um, standpoint. So we wrote a very short phase one lead-in portion to the trial to establish an effective dose. And the schedule was also of some question, so that was given in both a Q2 and Q3 week. So we basically settled on doing a Q3 week study with three different dose levels, and we knew that even the initial dose level would, would render a clinical level and blood that we could actually that would actually uh, saturate uh, most of the VEGF, and then the next two doses above that, we knew we would be in the target zone for where we wanted to be. So uh, we were looking for safety. We were not really looking to uh, go much higher than that because we've seen in some other studies that higher doses of the therapy may not necessarily add anything but toxicity. We wrote for three dose levels and um, confirmed that uh, that was a acceptable at the maximum administered dose, which was six milligrams per kilogram. But we had the opportunity in the phase one, uh, which I thought was really important, to evaluate the flibriceps activity in the absence of chemotherapy. So we wrote the trial in the phase one to give us an exposure time of single agent of flibercept without the dose of taxol. And this gave us an opportunity to do some important biomarkers, both in the blood and radiographically. And that then teed us up for the chemotherapy infusion, which we started in the phase two. And so the phase two was uh, essentially run as a a straightforward two-stage design. As I mentioned in the paper, we had initially written for a little bit of a larger study with a little bit lower anticipated effect. But through our discussions with the NCI, we elected on uh, using a few fewer patients and increasing what we felt was the clinical significant activity level for the trial to, to proceed. Thank you very much. And go on and tell us about the main findings from this phase one stroke two study. We found that we could administer the third dose level in the phase one. We found some very interesting um, findings with respect to the circulating endothelial cells. And we, what we did see is that some of our dynamic imaging suggested that perfusion changes uh, could be measured and that they may actually correlate with uh, response. And that was done on, a, on only a small sample of the, of the phase one. But it was quite an interesting uh, finding because we only saw responses in the patients who had this diminution in dynamic imaging by the K-trans value. In the phase two, what we saw was that we, uh, very early uh, on in the phase two, uh, we we met the minimum criteria to open the full study, and so we went ahead and accrued the full study relatively rapidly. We wrote the trial to allow for prior therapies in recurrent disease. We also allowed for patients with refractory recurrent and sensitive patients to actually go on to the study. But as it turns out, the response rates and the clinical performance of the entire cohort were very similar between the resistant and sensitive patients. What was really exciting, I think, about the study is that we had a number of complete responders, and several of those complete responders, even to this day, have not recurred, which is much beyond what we'd seen in their first exposure to platinum and uh, paclitaxel primary therapy or any of their recurrence regimens. That was an exciting finding that we saw in this in this particular trial. Just to be clear, what will happen to, to, to those women who participated in this trial then? You say they haven't recurred. Are they able to, to receive ongoing treatment now or not? The natural history of recurrent ovarian cancer is that all these patients would ultimately recur. But we still have a few patients who have never recurred after they came off their therapy. So in other words, we confirmed a complete response, which was mandated by the study. So they had to have two imaging studies to show complete resolution of their disease. 
And then they were taken off study and observed, and they're on standard observation protocols now being seen every three months and monitored with biomarkers, and these patients have not ever demonstrated a recurrence of their disease. Now, most of the patients who did achieve a complete response ultimately went on to progress, as did all the patients who received a lesser degree of response, so the progression the uh, partial responders and the stable disease patients ultimately did go on to progress and went on to other forms of, um, of therapy. It was remarkable that we, first of all, that we had such a high rate of complete response in the group and that some of those patients still have yet to recur. What is the future? What are, what are the next steps? Obviously, phase two at this stage, so clearly larger phase three trials are needed. Are there any messages for clinicians at this stage, or is it too early? If you look at the entire environment that's going on right now with anti-VEGF based therapies, I think that we're going to that we're solidifying the role of anti-VEGF-based therapies. And there's multiple different ways to do this. A flibercept is a specifically unique molecule that acts as a decoy receptor for VEGF molecule. Bevacizumab, of course, many people know is a monoclonal antibody against VEGF. And then there are several other agents that target both the receptor and the uh, compete at the ATP binding site to turn off the receptor in the presence of VEGF. So multiple of, the, of these agents are being evaluated in ovarian cancer. And I think the most mature of all these are those that have surrounded bevacizumab, for which we have phase three data in both frontline and recurrent disease. I think what's interesting about aflibercept is that it was studied in a group of patients that really hasn't been explored very well with any of the other agents, and that's in these resistant patients. I think what we'd like to see, I think the world is moving to because of the expense and the potential toxicity these agents have, is to figure out a way to identify patients that are most likely to respond. We used a number of circulating biomarkers and imaging studies to try to identify patients that might be good candidates for that. We've subsequently stumbled onto a few other biomarkers which may aid in, in selecting patients who are most likely going to respond to an anti-VEGF-based strategy. And so I really feel like the future is going to be a combination of teasing out the most appropriate patients to respond to these agents and figuring out ways to either we lead to early discontinuation if we don't see the type of effect we're looking for or identifying patients in whom we can safely administer these drugs to um, for long periods of time, hopefully achieving good long-term outcomes. I think one of the other messages from, from this study was that patients that recur with primary ovarian cancer treated with Paxil carplatinum still have activity with the taxanes, and we've seen this with both weekly paxil and some of the other taxanes, such as docetaxel, which has shown activity in the phase two setting in several studies. And so I think that um, combining the taxanes, which have their own unique qualities towards antiogenesis with another antiogenesis agent, which is working on a different axis, might actually produce the best likelihood for a response. What I'd like to see with this particular regimen, the aflibercept docetaxel regimen, would be to combine this with an important biomarker and look at it in a larger and potentially in a randomized phase two or uh, randomized phase two into phase three. And when do you think that could happen? Well, I think we're still in negotiations with the sponsors of this agent. Probably our next step is going to be looking at an important biomarker as a selection or as a, an ability to kind of um, steer patients into active arms in a, in a randomized trial. So our hope is that that will um, bear fruit so that this can go into a registration. It's a very interesting study. It clearly, hopefully, has a lot of potential, and particularly in ovarian cancer, lest we not forget, which yeah. has such a poor prognosis, doesn't it? Five years survival for ovarian cancer is pretty low, is it not? Yeah, and it's, and it's something that uh, if you talk about cure, it's something that we haven't uh, made much progress in the last uh, three decades of with.
well, let's hope the early work of, of your work here is, is sustained and we look forward to discussing hopefully larger follow-up studies in the future. But in the meantime, Dr. Robert Coleman on the line from MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Oncology. No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Many thanks again to Professor Robert Coleman and to Audrey Seskia and to you all for listening. See you next time.